Hi, and welcome to Real Trail Talk. I am Donovan D'Souza from The Long Ways Better. And I'm Mark Pibus from The Life of Pi. Welcome to episode 70. We're back on the mountain biking Mundabitty horse again. Yes, I mean, we did mountain bikes last episode, but... Well, we're back to the series. That's, <laughs> yeah. what, that's what I wanted to say. Back to the main event, the yeah. Mundabitty. <laughs> yeah. So this is a continuation in episode three of the series, mm-hmm. and we'll be doing map three, which is dwelling up to Collie. It does include a little bit of map two because map two right, randomly yeah. finishes at, at Nanga. Yeah. So, but you know, everything else is town to town. So yeah, we're treating this town to town. Yep, so obviously we finished last time in Dwelling Up, mm-hmm. a very significant trail town in WA and one that's positioned to be kind of the centre of trails behind Collie, which is actually yeah probably going to be a little bit bigger with the amount of money going in. And I think a little bit more accessible. We've talked about this that, you know, I think from a bike point of view, the trails are accessible, but from a hiking point of view, the, the trails are not that close. Mm. And Collie's probably got a few more... Again, probably more mountain bikes, though, closer to town than Dwelling Up does. Yeah, and Dwelling Up has the advantage of a lot more campsites Mm. and also the Murray River. So if you want to go out for an entire weekend, you can. Yeah. Um, And and you don't have the the issue of kind of being so far out of town like you are with Collie and Wellington National Park. Yeah. All right, let's get stuck in. I think we gave our reviews on Dwelling Up in the last pod. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think we've talked about it many times in other pods. (laughs) Yes, I was just there recently for the Trails Forum, and it's great to see the way the town is embracing the trails. Yeah. So leaving town on the Mundabitty, it's a long river road, isn't it? Kind of all once you're out of town, like the the paved areas. Yeah, so you follow sort of, um, you know, the back streets. You don't follow the main road out of town, um, but then you follow... a trail out and then it runs parallel to the Bibbleman for a while and it's weird because they there's no real reason as far as I can see that they should be separated mm. except that maybe bikes might be going faster um, and they sort of run parallel and then they split off when they cross Nanga Road and then there's some really nice cycling because it's all downhill right next to, to Nanga mm. Road um, next to the pine plantations and the trail has been really well developed because it's sort of the main link for people who are heading over Valley, uh, the Murray trail network. Yeah, every time I drive down there going into Lane Pool Reserve, I'm just like, I see the Mundabitty signs, I was like, this would be an awesome section because it's all downhill and there's some steep bits as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you don't actually go into Lane Pool Reserve, though, do you, once you reach the, the main entry gate? No, it does this weird thing where it kind of... You think you're going to go in and then it, it mm. goes across and it crosses the Murray River on the road bridge. Yeah, so, which is a weird one-way bridge. Not one-way, but one single lane bridge. Yes. Um, so I know you took some photos of the river there. Was that a bit nerve-wracking looking for cars coming either way? It, it was. Well, I I looked ahead and there was nothing. There's nothing behind me, but there was a very quiet car that kind of crept up on me, <laughs> and I went, "Oh, oh, okay," and kept going. Yeah. Um, and then from there, you have to cycle a little bit uphill, and then you actually reach Lane Pool and going into there. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the start of kind of your awareness of the Alcoa um, 
impact i'm gonna say on this stretch there's sort of a a warning i guess of the impact but you don't see the impact yet Mm. that's more the next day which is uh significantly impacted yeah um so heading into lane pool this is where you kind of had a bit of a an adventure on one of the new mountain bike trails yeah so so first of all when you're entering lane pool you go down what was the it used to be the access road into the park it used to be a, a full loop but now they've made it a one-way. So you, have, you go down these really steep um, sections of hill. And this is my first section with the, the new bike, oh, the yeah, Polygon. Yeah. Yep. And on this first day, I lost my uh, front reflector. <laughs> um, that, that flew off as I was going down. And I didn't realize it until much later. And then you enter the, the trail network. And it's a bit unclear because it, it looks too good. Like, you know, from what I'd seen of the Mandabidi, yeah. this was a little bit too good quality. Mm. And so I actually stopped and I asked people, is this Mandabidi? And they said, yeah, yeah, it is. Just keep going. But as I kept going, I realized that it just became too um, downhill mountain bikey to be the Mandabidi. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so I ended up doing the green, one of the green trails that they just put in and it's outstanding. Like the quality of the trail, you know, it's not slippery ground. Mm. The, you know, the curves are really good. Um, it was a lot of fun. So while I did go the wrong way, uh, it was, it was a good experience and I mm. enjoyed it. Uh, cause you ended up rejoining the Monday video at the bottom of that. Would you recommend that as a detour if you didn't have a full, fully loaded bike? Yeah, I guess so. I would encourage it, except you know maybe if you've got a cross-country kind of bike then it may not be suitable to do the log <laughs> yeah <laughs> the log jumps and stuff like that but you know otherwise it's perfectly fine you don't have to go at full speed and it's yeah. good fun i yeah. couldn't imagine on a fully loaded bikepacking bike trying to jump off a log onto the ground just like the crunch would just be jarring yeah <laughs> yeah um, so from there, it's on to Nanga Mill, mm. and this is where you had your second accident, I want to say? So be- just before the accident, there's this weird bend, and they have since fixed it, because I think a lot of cyclists commented that the signs were crap, mm. because the way that the signs were positioned, it's a hairpin bend, and if you're coming up the hill, the sign says turn right yeah but if you're going down the hill there's no sign saying go left it just says go right yeah. and there's this ridiculously steep bit of track that goes up mm. and you know i looked at that and went this can't be right but i climbed up to make sure that it wasn't actually the trail mm. and then i think i was so elated by that that i when i saw the signs eventually so i turned i did you know follow the right way down the hairpin mm. went down the hill Saw Mandibidi signs, I was like, yes, I'm going the right way. And I've been pretty confident the whole day with everything, you know, even on, on the uh, downhill track. Mm. And then I was unstuck by turning onto vehicle track where all these, you know, car campers come in. Yeah. All the, the gravel is loose, yep. spun out of control. And yeah, it was like uh, I took a meat hammer to my knee <laughs> ouch um but it was a pretty pretty area though to do it oh yeah there was like a little waterfall at the mm. bottom there so I, I stopped there and patched myself up you know just dripping blood <laughs> um but i you know i always have my medikit and this is sort of when i realized that i needed to pack different things for a cycling trip because mm. 
I realized that with all these small little holes that, you know, a, band, a bandage wasn't going to work, that I needed to get like a gauze pad and put that on and, and wrap it up. Yeah. So I didn't have that, but I just made do with what I had for at the time. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then Nanga Mill, does the track actually run like right into the campsite or does it just scoot the outside? Just around the outside. Um, it goes past, like, you know, from... Um, when you when you do the uh, King Jarrah yeah. track, yeah. you know you come back in and you go through like there's a section of pines. Yeah, uh, it goes past that section of pines. That's uh, the main okay. sort of yeah. you know that open camping area, mm. but it doesn't turn into that area. Mm. And then uh, going on to the King Jarrah track, I imagine this is infinitely more enjoyable on a bike than oh, yeah. just walking. Oh yeah, it's it's so nice on a bike, mm. and it's weird because when I did it. You know, I think the trailhead, to me, it feels like the encouraging way to do it is to go straight up, do the King Jarrah, and then you have this boring return bit. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be the, you know, canonical way of doing the trail. Mm. But I saw a lot of people doing this section first and walking down that way, which mm. I guess you get the boring bit out of the way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was really enjoying this, you know, going through here. And towards the end, it's a bit burnt, but the start of it is just really good quality, nice scenery, yeah, and um, you know, easy cycling, very easy. Yeah. So I walked this one again in July, I want to say, and mm. yeah, the section closer to Nangamil, I just remember just being like just amazing in terms of quality. And then yeah, as you get further towards where the King Jarrah turns off, it's still horribly, horribly burnt. Yeah. But it, that would, section would be mostly downhill on the mountain bike. That's it? right, it yeah. is. It was mostly downhill. So, you know, like fast. I was really ahead of, of schedule at this point, I reckon, because mm. it was, um, you know, pretty easy going. And now that they've fixed up the Captain Fawcett track, four-wheel drives aren't an issue on this anymore, whereas kind of, what, five, six years ago, mm. you'd have four-wheel drives to compete with them ripping up the trail, whereas now it, it seems quite suitable for a, a mountain bike. That's right. And and being said, with that being said, though, there's, there were a lot of four-wheel drives crossing where, you know, where the car park is uh, for the King Jarrah, just before the bridge, where when you get onto the, the rail form, yep. there were a lot coming through there because this was the weekend... Just before the intrastate borders uh, opened, yeah, yeah. but camping was allowed again. So it was that mm. little bit bit of time where you couldn't go very far, and dwelling up was pretty much the main place you could go. Yeah, but you couldn't travel to you know Collie and beyond. Mm. So very very busy. Very busy. Mm. Yeah, as you said, pretty pretty area. Did you stop by the river? Those couple of access points along there? Eh, not really. I've seen it before. Mm. Um, yeah, it was stuff that I'd seen. Wasn't super excited to do it. You know, we, we crossed the river earlier. Because yeah. kind of a, like another missed opportunity, same as the Billman, is you don't get a lot of interaction with the Murray River. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it makes sense that they've used this form because it's flat and it's it was an all-rail form, so it, it mm. makes sense to use it. But, yeah, the lack of interaction with the river is not, ideal although there is one bit where you get to see the like it gets quite close and you get to see yeah, the, the river yeah. so that was nice fleeting views yeah so speaking of the king jarrah track this is one thing that you made a point of is visiting the four kings along the mandabudi yeah so 
something that I feel is a big uh, plus of the Mundabiddy is to treat it like a tour. So rather than just going point to point, you know, campsite to campsite, it's really great to get you to see other things along the way. Mm. And along the way, you pass to King Jarrah, to King Carrie, and then I realized also a King Tingle. King or Queen Tingle? I always king. thought King. Oh, I always there thought is Tingles the would be queens. There's, there is the Queen, I think, but there is the King as mm. well. So there's actually five kings because um, I didn't realize this until later. I was like, oh, this is actually something that you could do and collect them all <laughs> along the way. <laughs> so uh, having done the King Jarrah as a hike, I didn't do the side trip. Yeah. But I think if you're if you've not seen it, why not? You know, park up your bike, tie it up on the uh, the sign that's there. Yeah. Go up, have a look at it, come back down. It's it's steep up, but it's mm. not long. And it's a pretty section as well because you cross one of the brooks there with the bridge, and it's all lush through that area. So yeah, yeah worth exactly. a side trip. Definitely worth, and it's only a short distance to the hut. You know, like it's not a big deal. Mm. So speaking of the Bidjar Nulan campsite. This mm. is one that you thought was probably really good, maybe <laughs> 2014, but yeah. since the fires, it's lost its spark. I've so seen some speak. photos of it, and it used to look outstanding. Like, it was all this tall, sort of thick Jarrah, mm. quite mature. You know, the kind of stuff that you see in Dwelling Up, where, yes, they logged it, but it was a long time ago, and they've let mm. it regrow. And unfortunately, now it's just terrible it's been all burnt it survived the fire because they are you know mostly metal but it used to have like nicer views of a waterfall that you could walk down to and have a look at Mm. and it was just it was okay it was nothing spectacular Mm. so i think this is the northern border of the waruna fires because the Mm. murray hut is on the other side of the river from here but if you go up the hill from there that didn't get burnt yeah, and the same on the King Jarrow track. If you go a little bit north from here, mm. there's like big sections of unburnt Jarrow. Yeah, so this is probably down in the valley. It copped it the worst, mm. and it's yeah, it's a shame because like really, really good quality Jarrow is rare, rare. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But you were not staying here that night. No, I wasn't. you were going on. Yeah, because um. What we decided was that I'd be picked up from the um, the tunnel that goes under the Alcoa mining thing, yep. whatever it is, yep. um, because we couldn't go further. I was hoping to push on into the next area, mm. but because this, the borders were closed, that's about as far as I could go. Yeah. Um, so moving on, so the next day, if you were staying there... Yeah. Um, kind of more of the same with the hard hit um, burnt areas yeah. along the King Jarrah form. Basically, the whole day is, is badly, badly burnt. Um, you know, like I think this the aspect of this is that it wasn't this section's, you know, it's no one's fault. This was a, a, a lightning strike mm. that, that caused it. Um, but it really sucks that an entire day is just burnt forest. Well, it's not just the the burnt forest that puts a dampener on this day. This is, we'll I get, would yeah. say, <laughs> the worst day on the Mundabiddy. Oh by yeah, far. by far. You know, it's yeah. it's it would be uh, you know like I complain a lot about Marin Road, mm. and scenically it's even worse than Marin Road. I think mentally it's not as bad, yeah. 
but scenically it is absolutely atrocious like um you know i i said in the blog post that they market this as you know a world-class cycling trail Mm. um off-road cycling trail and this section is just a joke you know like you you wouldn't walk, if you, if you showed this to anyone they would not think it's world class i know i was preparing for the podcast today and i was just looking at this just dreading it because i know this will be a day i just absolutely hate yeah in august september when i do this <laughs> next year so we may as well get into it so burnt overgrown forest on the the king jara form to leave and then you pick up at nanga road yeah which is just a wide gravel road mm-hmm. and then you get to your pickup point which is the the underpass i think yep. it's a conveyor belt yeah and it's i mean this is kind of cool you know it's it's nice the, i like that there's actually a cycling lane you know that's yeah. that's kind of a nice thought that they've put that in there yeah. um and there's a little area there where you can park a car at the end so you know Alyssa was there ready to pick me up and then the next uh i think i can't remember when we came back but we came back and picked up the trail again from this point mm. um and yeah this particular section was terrible <laughs> so you get your clue with the the mining underpass mm. i actually think it's a it must be for the trucks because i've been there yes i've and seen there's trucks. Been a truck going over at the same time so yeah and you see your first visible scarring from yeah. the bauxite mining yeah so you you're along this uh, narrow bit of single track and then it takes you to the road and at the point where it takes you to the road on the other side of the road is this clearing and it just looks like as far as the eye could see that they've just ripped everything out mm. and it just is devastation you know like I can just imagine, like I always imagine the ants saying, these trees, they were my friends. <laughs> Saruman! <laughs> exactly. You know, that that's how I, I feel when I see it. It just, it is just so awful. Mm. Um, and it, it, it just doesn't seem, you know, like it's on a scale that is ridiculous. Um, you know, as I said in the blog post, I said, you know, there's this whole thing of like, you know, if you have an aluminium bike... You can't yeah, complain. You're not allowed to say anything at all. And, you know, yes, I, 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 I think to a degree, I feel like to a degree you could do this at a smaller scale and it still be viable and not rip everything out. And to, and especially, vi, you know, visible, like the visible impact is huge. It's not like they've done it in a hidden valley and you can't see it. Mm. You can see this. This is so massive, yeah. you know, like it's, it's ridiculous. And... The, the thing that really pissed me off here was that the, you know, the scarring gets... This, this particular area is really bad, but the scarring gets worse as you go along because they've also dug these huge sort of four-lane-wide roads. Mm. Um, and what, how they've done it is just terrible because they've not thought about the cyclists, really. They may think that they've done a token effort, but mm. it's crap. You know, like they they did things like um, they didn't have markers. They just painted poles this yellow color. But it just looks like it's been jaundiced by the sun. Like it just looks like that faded yellow of an old pole. How am I supposed to know that's the trail? Um, And 
there were just, you know, construction vehicles everywhere. Those smoldering piles of wood mm. just in the corner that, you know, reminded me of uh, Luke Skywalker's uncle and aunt. Um, you know, it just was was horrible. And they oh, oh no, the other thing was there was supposed to be a side trip to an arboretum that was granted. It was destroyed by the fire. Mm. But there's signs there that say uh, Mundabidi access. Yeah. But it's they've dug this road so deep that it's like two stories higher. And you're tr- and I was like, <laughs> how does one actually get up there? I was thinking, oh, maybe that's the Mundabidi. Maybe that's the way I'm supposed to go. Yeah. Not, you know, you can't even get up there. Mm. Um, absolutely terrible. Um, I really feel that, you know, the fact that they thought that this was acceptable, if, you know, I, I feel that if you were going to do this, the least you could do was was pay to divert the Mundabidi. That's the thing is they don't care. Yeah. There's no mandate for them to do it. They're doing the bare minimum. Yeah. And after you did it, I actually heard like there's lots of cyclists on the Facebook group saying that they were physically escorted around certain areas by oh, our really? color. Yeah. And it doesn't leave a good impression. No. I mean, granted there were no interstate or international cyclists because of COVID, but like that whole area, like the diversion maps that they've planned have you riding along Southwest Highway. That's how bad it will get eventually. And you know what? That would be better than what I experienced. It was so bad, I thought riding along a highway would be more fun than this, yeah. uh, scenically. And, you know, one of the things that I, you know, that just really added insult to injury was all the signs said um, proudly sponsored by Alcoa. Yeah. And look, if you've. I know that the position is that they were given these mining leases in the 70s. They really have, um, you know, they have carte blanche to do whatever they want. But you'd think that a conscience would say, let's, well, we know that this is, we're supporting this trail that goes through our area. Mm. Let's divert it around the worst of the impacts. Because the thing is, from, from their point of view, People are seeing it and are probably getting more up in arms than if they didn't know it was happening. Yeah. You know, and, and it's this is the biggest bauxite mine in the world. Surely, like, the scale of it, um, you know, it's still viable at a smaller scale than the huge expansion that's going on. Yeah. See, that's what gets me when people are like, or do you use things that are made of things? And it's like, yes, I do, but this mine is not to service WA or even Australia. It's to service the world. Mm. And... It quite frankly is not needed that we dig up the entire Darling Range because an American company wants to make more money, mm. and that's all it is. And the thing that really annoys me is they rip it up and they just burn everything. So at the FPC, who do a really terrible job at logging our state forests for a, <laughs> an economic loss, like we could save those forests that they're logging if they just worked together in their Mm. environmental vandalism and you know it would have all these other forests that we could protect and and love whereas they just rip everything down burn it and then completely strip out the layer that is important to the regrowth yeah despite their uh world's best practiced rehabilitation yeah and they they always like to make it look like oh it's exactly the same it doesn't grow back exactly no. the same you know and there's a, yeah there's a reason why we're not allowed into those areas as trail users that they've rehabilitated because they're just not stable and they don't know yeah what the impacts are of them and look i mean i think in what i wrote 
I was I was fairly pragmatic, and I said, look, if if you if they are gonna do this, and and I understand, look, you sign a lease in the seventies. This is before people thought about these sort of considerations. Um, it's a bit hard to rip it up when it's already in place, but surely there are ways that you can you could. I just feel like there's a certain lack of there's a real I don't care attitude to thinking about how can we limit the impacts and I think that they think that they've they're limiting the impacts and they're giving themselves a big tick because they invited uh, you know like Dave from Walk GPS to go yeah. talk to them but it's not enough you know like it's just it's not good enough that a trail should look this shit you know mm. Um, and there are groups fighting this actively. So there's Save Our Jarrah, which is a dwelling up and Jarradale alliance, I think. There's the WA Forest Alliance. Um, I know Hike West will be getting behind all of those. Outdoors mm. WA as well. Because they're expansion that they legally have the right to, but morally is a bit suspect, <laughs> yep. will take them way, way out into the Perth Hills and beyond. Yeah. You know, like some of my favourite sections of the Mundabidi near Jarradale would be gone in yep. this. Long um, sections of the Billman gone. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's something that we need to fight for. And whether it's legally right or not, I think as a WA resident and someone who really cares about the environment, it mm. should be fought very hard for them not just to rip up what's left of the uh, the Jarrah forest in that area. Yeah. Do you want to talk any more about this, or should we just say horrible, visible scars from mining? Yeah, um, power lines. It's it's a whole day of terrible. You know, yeah. like it it's it's almost now I look at it, it's kind of funny. Uh, but besides the joke, and you know, like they always say, comedy is tragedy plus time. And while you're doing it, it's not that funny. <laughs> yeah, I even don't think it's that funny at the moment. <laughs> I just I just find the fact that it's world class, world class, yeah. you know. Um, well, it is. It's world class rehabilitation <laughs> in 10 to 20 years when they're done ripping everything up. Yeah. I mean, if this is world class, then world class is a long way to go. Yeah. You know? I think it doesn't say much if world class mining rehabilitation is comparing yourself to like a South America or an Indonesia where <laughs> yeah. it just doesn't happen at all. Yeah, I mean, like, to give them a little bit of credit, they do try, which is something more than what it, than what other places do, mm. but it's not the same. You know, to say that it's the same, and especially the impact of the fact that they've logged this area before and that we have such a, a small amount of nice-looking Jarrah. Like, mm. I hate so much of the Jarrah forest because of how hideous it looks yeah. because it's regrowth. We basically will be stuck with that for maybe three or four generations at yeah. the rate that we're going. And you kind of wonder, because like Lane Pool Reserve, which you go through on the previous day, Lane Pool fought tooth and nail to protect the forests in that area. You wonder if he hadn't have done that, whether all of the Murray River Valley would just be mining and logging still. Yep, so like we can see what proper Jarrah looks like if it's given 100 years because of Lane Pool. Yeah. So it's just, it's sad that it's on the doorstep of the area that they named after him as a conservation area. But the end of the day. <laughs> Actually, no, sorry, I want to make a point because you said that the end of the day wasn't too bad because you were yeah. looking forward to a granite section. Yeah, so there's some nice bits where um, 
as you get to the end of this horrendous forest that's all burnt, you come to the edge of a private property and there's a nice granite slab and you cycle across the granite and it's really nice. I didn't ride across any moss, don't worry. That's all right. I gather that it's probably <laughs> destroyed by now anyway. Um, and it was just really nice. It was raining, so there was, an, you know, like the, the valleys were all misty and really mm. beautiful. A lot of granite sort of domes around alongside the trail and you basically you're going along a private property's uh, boundary mm. but it was nice and it and i think because it was near a private property the forest was saved <laughs> from being burnt yeah um so that was nice it was nice to leave the charred remains of you know the forest mm. and you also saw a dumped car which is something that's uh not unique to this area but is a, a common theme <laughs> yeah that, it was an epic epic dumped car you know there's uh some fairly vulgar language on there uh you can read it on the the blog post yeah. uh yeah very uh i think it, of if if the dumped car is the artistic medium of the bogan yeah then this was a masterpiece. You know, this would be in one of the most amazing I've ever seen. Mm. Um, bravo. It does. It does look spectacular. I could just imagine the person who did it just stepping back and being like, oh, yeah, mate, good. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, the, the, just the, the destructiveness of it. Yeah. Uh, you just see, um, you know, toxic masculinity or display. <laughs> Uh, um, and then into Lake Brockman, you've got a little bit of a climb and then a descent. Yeah. Um, Lake Brockman, what's that like? Because that's a public campground. Yeah, I mean, it's nice. It's sort of on the other side of the of the lake, and it's not near the main dam wall. But there's like a dam wall next to it. And I thought, this is much less spectacular than I thought it was going to be. Mm. Um, it's nice. Uh, very noisy. A lot of families... Uh, again, this was early on when the borders just opened, so maybe people go further afield. Yeah. But I think it's close proximity to dwelling up in Collie means that there's a lot of people. So that's the thing about these like public camping areas. I always get a bit wary of around Collie is like you hear the stories of bogans in their four wheel drives going out at two a.m. and ripping everything up and drinking and yelling and yeah. it just doesn't seem like a peaceful place as much as it should be because it's a lake. Um, yeah, it's kind I'm, of odd, but it is a, a place you can stay along the Mundabidi. I guess I should say that there's one that's closer to the to the private properties, and then there's one where, which isn't on the Mundabidi, but you can cycle off it to go to, and it's a more of a managed tourism property, and they've got um, it's probably more family oriented. They've got a nice cafe, they've got those um, little cabins as well. So you know, I. I I'd think if I was doing this, I'd probably splash out and just stay in the cabin. Yeah. I nice and quiet. <laughs> after the day that you've just had. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I would want to do that as well. <laughs> and I probably will. Um, so the next day or section, Lake Brockman to Yarry campsite. A turnaround in fortunes. Oh, yes. Yeah, so much better. Because um, I had this dread when I did that section that was the Mundabidi going to be like the Bibbulmun where I did Marin Road and I just was bitterly disappointed mm. and it kind of coloured the whole experience and I, I just didn't really enjoy Northcliffe to Walpole very much on the Bibbulmun. Um, but thankfully this day wasn't bad at all. You know, it was really nice. So it had some redeeming forest and 
this is probably, I guess, where you fell in love with Jarrah again? Yeah, so the Jarrah here was much more mature, wasn't burnt. You know, it was nice. A lot of it just... Um, you know, it's a long creek line, so there's, you know, they've met, they're more mature because they're a bit more lush, and it was just good, good quality cycling. So it follows a rail formation for quite a lot of the day. Yeah, so there's there's often on different bits of rail form. Um, there was this one particular section that I think DBCA would refer to as um, high fuel load. I would describe as absolutely stunning and spectacular yeah um and it was just you know super fast just straight flat cycling on the rail form Mm. it was outstanding yeah really good and then there's a cool little swampy area um just past that and then there's a giant uphill that you said you had a lot of fun on (laughs) yeah so that was that was not great (laughs) Um, I think it was also, I was just, I was really tired. And this is, this is sort of early on as well. I think now if I did it, I'd probably have more stamina, mm. but I just was, was wrecked. And it was the thing that really pissed me off was there's just all these branches that were fallen mm. and you, you know, you're trying to go uphill and there's a branch so you stop and you have to build momentum again. Yeah. It's just, you know, um, your wheels are spinning because there's just no traction, mm. But yeah, you know, it was a little bit frustrating doing that climb up there. Yeah. Yeah. And a bit before the swampy area, I forgot to mention the king ears that just dominate this area. Yeah, that was a real surprise because it was just, it's probably the most impressively tall king ears I've seen. You know, like it's like the, you know, there's that painting of Albany uh, that's a famous one that's sort of like looking across the harbor and they've got these king ears in there that look like palm trees. You'd say that, but I was pre-selecting photos to edit today for Mount Martin. Yeah. And lo and behold, there is a very tropical-looking section there yeah. overlooking Albany. <laughs> I thought, this is very like palm tree-esque, so yeah. maybe it's from that position. It. So I would say that the the king is here look like that. They look like mm. that, you know, like the way the whoever did that painting saw these trees as being like oh they're like the palm trees of the area mm. and they really are like that in this area massively tall like there's a photo of of one like my bikes underneath it and how tall they are yeah and the fact that it's just this whole area where you can see them for ages is awesome i always think it's more impressive if you actually know about king ears the fact that they grow one to one and a half centimeters a year mm. and you look at them you're like well that's 500 years old because it's five <laughs> meters high it's just yeah. like it boggles the mind um to see those in the wild yeah and yeah. to see so many of them as well mm. is just fantastic um so then moving forward there is the talanara blue gum plantation which is it throws you off a bit because it looks very weird in the photos yeah i mean it's it's weird because they look like they could be carrying you know, like there's there's just this um, this constant thing along these sections where the old town sites have been replaced with trees, and they've done these sort of experimental plantings, mm. and you're never quite sure what the trees are. Some of them they have plaques, but not all of them. But that was good because it also it gave me an opportunity to know where I was because <laughs> <laughs> it's there's a lot of you know just 
rail form which goes on for ages and you just mm. have no idea where you are and i was yeah. like oh okay i know where i am you look at the map and yeah. yeah so that that was cool um and then after that there was like a nice bit where there was a creek bed next to the trail mm. with, um which i think in in the wetter time this was early winter so it was it was not quite as amazing as it would be later in the year mm. but still nice yeah because yeah. we had a really dry start to autumn late autumn early winter that's right yeah. yeah and then you hit a bit of a snag with a redirection or a diversion yeah so they there was a section here where they they they're doing some timber harvesting and the track has sort of gone to the right where it used to go uphill and when I started doing this section because it's on a rail form I was like this is so nice why didn't they go this way normally mm. and then I realized oh I see it goes through a pine plantation yeah. um, but I actually really like the pine plantation I think that if they kept it like the, the unfortunate thing is it won't stay the same because they're going to clear that eventually will they though? Because there's the one that we did a bit further on between Donnybrook and Nalamia. Yeah. That they would like they were clearing it at the time, but then you ride further and there was those really really old pines. Yeah. Like, well, they should have cleared those by now. Yeah. So they might have just forgotten about it. So I mean, hopefully, because it's it's really nice. <laughs> you know, like it's it's a really cool sort of spooky feeling. They've got these dense, mm. you know, dense pines with the undergrowth is really thick as well. Mm. So. I would, I wouldn't mind if that was the actual trail because the the scenery is nice mm. and the riding was enjoyable and it was a it was a change of pace you know like it uh, otherwise you just see basically the same forest from start to finish and I I don't mm. mind these transitions to pine plantations as long as they're not tiny sticks yeah and I suppose the pine plantations like the she oaks you're gonna get the softer yeah. riding conditions as well exactly so yeah. that's that's nice as well. Yeah, because um, that area where they're doing the timber harvesting or have done it, um, I drive through there to get to my other maintenance <laughs> okay. section, and I passed, and I was like, "Oh, damn! They've logged this area. It looks terrible." So it's probably good that you don't have to ride, or you didn't have to ride through. Yeah, that. and I just I hope that they don't go. Oh, we can just put it back onto the old way now that the now that the logging's done because. Yeah. That's just not good, you know, like you gotta think about the rider experience and I think sometimes they think of expediency rather than experience. But it's odd that you were the diversion was on the rail trail. You think they would have just continued along there? I think because the rail trail so obviously goes into the plantation because it curves yeah. right and goes sort of westwards into yeah, the plantation. Okay. Whereas yeah. this way takes you through um, you know, keeps you in the forest, which maybe is is better. But not it's anymore. not better anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so past there, you actually then rejoin some more lovely Jarrah mm. and then on to Miles Avenue. Yeah, which was nice as well. Mm. Yep. And, <laughs> sorry. Nice, Jarrah. So do you have any compliments that you want to give to the Jarrah for us through here? Um, it's pretty good. It, the quality is nice. It doesn't look uh, gaunt and like matchsticks that have been used and stuck into the ground, which they often look like closer to Perth. Yeah. Uh, but not as nice as after the next hut. Yeah. 
Um, so the finish to the day into Yarry campsite is on old rail trails and it's all downhill, so it's a nice reward yeah. coming into the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, really nice. I mean, the I was a bit um, worried because there were dirt bike sounds ringing through the forest and mm. because this is relatively easy to get to, my, my biggest fear that was we were going to go rock up there and then, you know, at midnight, a group were going to rock up and um, have a party at the hut. So, yep. thankfully, that didn't happen. No. But Alyssa was waiting for you at the hut. That's and right. Yep. This is one of the ones that you stayed at. And yes. it actually looks, like, fantastic. Oh, yeah. It's really nice. I think that... So, there's this and the one on the other side of Collie are two smaller huts. They're really little. Um, more sort of, I guess, a Bibbleman track size, but with the sort of geometry of the Mundabidi huts mm. and they've shrunk everything up to make it fit but this was this is the first one as you're heading south that has a balcony yeah so it overlooks the a valley below and there's these lovely black butts that are there mm. uh, the capsite's called Yari and which is the Noongar term for black butt <laughs> that's right yep um, and the campsites were nice so we, we set up our tents and so this is actually the first time I'm talking about the tent set up oh, because yeah. it's quite different to what we mm. we normally do. So because Alyssa wasn't joining me, we decided to glamp the campy. <laughs> so Alyssa would drive to the nearest access point and then hike the rest of the way in with her pack mm. filled with everything. So she was carrying like 20 kilos of stuff and had bags in her hands and stuff. Mm. Um, and then we would set up our car camping tent yeah. at one of the campsites had an inflatable bed <laughs> rather than those thin mattresses, yeah. uh, real pillows, Boris. Oh, yeah, the I bear. was just going to ask that. Did <laughs> Boris get an invite? Or was oh, he yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, for people who don't know or haven't heard other episodes, Boris is a bear who is an essential part of the sleep system. But you don't, you're just a bear. He is your childhood teddy bear who That's you right. love and cherish. <laughs> <laughs> so, he's, he's an adventurer. He enjoys going on these trips and so every time we did an overnight he came and was there that's good yeah and we also had much nicer food as well so we had you know non-dehydrated food mm. like we had i think we had things like um you know we had i can't remember if it was here but we had stuff like pesto with um with rocket and nice pasta yeah. and stuff like that so it was it was really good and Having a real bed at the end of the day is, especially after cycling, which I think you're more sore after, yeah. was just glorious. Yeah. Um, can't say I was jealous on the, the overnight that we did. That <laughs> <laughs> You guys had your full setup and I was still in my old hiking setup. Yeah. Yeah. So it, that was really awesome. Um, thankfully, no one showed up in the middle of the night. We had the whole campsite to ourselves, which was basically true every single time we, we did an overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cool that this hut is right on the rail form, so it's quite a narrow sort of footprint. Yeah. But yeah, really awesome, and you know the the lovely views make it worthwhile staying at. Yeah, because you say built on the rail form, the balcony is there because it's on a slope, and yep. it also has a wooden floor, which you found very useful. Yeah, so I think that you know this this is the first one, and there are I think six of them, and they are. To me, that's really the best innovation of the Mundabidi huts 
is that they have a flaw, not mm. all of them, but the ones that do. Um, the fact that you can just take your shoes off and not have to wear uh, camp shoes to yeah. walk around the campsite. So it's one of those things, like, same with the Billman huts, is, like, if there's a fire going through, chances are the shelter's not going to survive anyway. Like, what's a few little extra bits of wood going to do? Yeah. And it just makes the, like, the camping experience of the hike or the ride so much better if around where you sleep you're not dragging dirt and everything or having to, you know, sit down, then take your shoes off or thongs or whatever and... Yeah. Yeah. And always, you know, because because of that you end up with sandy platforms on the on the, on the Bibbleman. Mm. So, yeah. Um so the next day, so you've stayed here overnight and it's it rained, didn't it? It oh, it bucketed down. Yeah. And, uh, it rained overnight, but then it bucketed down as we were packing up. Mm. <laughs> so that was pretty full on. You know, we were sitting in the uh on the balcony and just bucketing down. Um Alyssa sort of cleared the tent uh, very quickly because I was like, "Oh, we'll just deal with it later. We'll we'll get it after." We? Af- <laughs> after well, no, we after the rain would, would, was done. But she was like, "No, we're gonna get it now." So she she went and did it, yeah, and um, got all of it and brought it across, and then we you know packed up. But um, yeah, it was it was actually really nice. I I I love the rain, mm. and I love the rain on the tin roof. Tin roof yeah, you know, it is special. Yeah. Um, but as I recall, you ditched Alyssa to do all the packing or most of the packing up and transporting to the car, so you could ride off. And well, no, we we actually walked to the we walked to the car, mm. um, and what happened was we when we did our first load of stuff. This is before the tent, so we did the pillows, Boris, and you know that sort of the bedding went to the car, mm. and uh, unlike some other huts where the the walk is not that far. Mm. This was quite a far walk. Mm. So we had to walk along this trail. It's probably about 20, 20 minutes, I'd say, to yeah. get there. So we got there, loaded the car, and as we were walking back about 10 minutes in, it just started bucketing <laughs> down. So And we and I had a down jacket on, so I was running. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't want to get that wet. Um, but then, yes, she did have extra stuff that she needed to load into the car. Um, do another like one or two trips and I said well you've got <laughs> you've got the time bye <laughs> but she was fine with it because she she had all she had to do really was go to Collie and have a look at the shops yeah. whereas I had to cycle into Collie so yeah <laughs> uh, I'm actually thinking we should get Alyssa on the final podcast as like a, an additional what was it like being the support crew to Donovan yeah I think that would be great yeah, yeah. Um, so the start of the day, it looked really, really good because you continue along that rail form yeah. through what looked like very, very lush forest. Oh yeah, and the fact that you know it rained as well added to the lushness mm. for sure. Um, it starts going downhill and then it just goes up, 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 up for ages. Mm. And I think I started to get better around here. This is when I, f- I feel like I found some of my cycling legs. Mm, yep. It still was hard, and there was. I got to a point where I just couldn't keep going. Mm. But um, yeah, it was. It was good. I think this. The last two days, this and the previous day, were me really coming into my own, doing these uphills, and mm. and not feeling that I couldn't do it. You know, like that's that that feeling of desperation when you're stuck in a situation and you can't achieve. Yeah, was uh, was starting to fade, which is good. 
Um, and there's just epic like moments where you where there was this power line, and you know power lines are not synonymous with beautiful. No. <laughs> but it's this valley, and there was rain everywhere. And it just looked awesome. You know, like it actually looked really cool. I don't know. I was looking at that photo again today. I was just like, it's probably the best photo I've seen of a power Because <laughs> 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 you got the mist of the forest and it kind of, yeah. Like, because you said in the post, like it's cut low. Yeah. So it's not as exposed as what, you know, normal power line sections in, in this area look like. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, awesome. You know, really nice quality forest. And, um, when you get to the top, you then cycle downhill for like several kilometers. So I think the the cost of going uphill is more than paid up for. Yeah. You know? But it's not like you were going downhill and you didn't have to stop. There was quite a lot of puddles. Oh, yeah. Thanks to the overnight oh, rain yeah. that you had to A lot dodge. of puddles. Um, it was pretty wet through this whole area. And it the whenever it went to single track, it was even worse because it was like... You just have to plow through yeah. uh, a puddle that maybe is like 10, 20 meters of puddle. Which is fun if you're like, as a kid in the suburbs, I'm going to go through this puddle. But when it's a day of puddles, you just want to avoid them sometimes. Yeah. Um, some. So the most of them, thankfully, were not deep. They were fairly shallow. So you could kind of like just glide through mm. uh, but some of the later ones were like as as i got to the ed- edge of this private property i came to this one and then in the middle my bike just stopped <laughs> and then i went whoa so i quickly sort of leaned the bike to fall to one side so that mm. i could my foot could touch dry yeah well it still got wet but not as as wet as it could have been i would have found that hilarious if you had of like reenacted an Alyssa in some of the puddles <laughs> oh yeah the dwelling Duke up one <laughs> yeah the ridiculous puddle yeah um, but the farmland that actually looked quite nice there's an old like chimney stack building there yeah nice you know nice scenery I, I, I like the farmland scenery and I think it's um, a good feature of the Mundabidi is that they embrace a lot of the a lot of the farmland scenery mm. um, but then you enter then some burnt forest which you recently burnt forest that you weren't too happy like, with. <laughs> oh god this is not good um but it didn't last it didn't last so this section is where donovan decided that jarrah is the best forest ever like you sent photos and videos to us just being like look at this stuff like it's amazing <laughs> yeah I, look i wouldn't say it's the best forest ever but it is what it can be like when when you know when people talk about beautiful Jarrah forest and it's like just twigs, <laughs> you know you're delusional. You are delusional because it's not the same thing. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that Jarrah can't be absolutely spectacular. Yeah. And on Zephyr Road, it is some of the most astoundingly spectacular Jarrah forests I've ever seen. Mm. The trees are like carry. They're so big. You know, like there's a photo of my bike next to one. And the girth of that tree is ridiculous. It is. Uh, yeah. It just reminds you, like, when you see those trees, like, there's one as you hike out to the Mount Cook shelter, mm. and it, you just have to stop because you're like, that's a massive, massive tree. And yet you're surrounded by all these, what you call twigs, yeah. that are not very old. It's like, that's what it could be. Yeah. And that's what we've lost. Mm. That's what we continue to lose. And that it just makes me more upset because... We, we've lost so much of what could be a really fantastic forest type. 
but what we're left with is a sad parody of what that forest type used to look like yeah and it's the fact that like yes it will get there but it's it's two three hundred years away that's right and in between there it'll get logged four or five times probably yeah eight or nine actually and and you know what i feel like they want us to forget that they ever looked like that Mm. because it's convenient to them that they always look like the twigs with the one leaf on the top you know there's this bare bald ridiculous Mm. um you know gaunt parody yeah that's why i was sad because i recently went out to my other maintenance section between possum springs and yordamung on the bib and just near trees road there's this mother what i call mother jarrows Mm. and they were beautiful beautiful trees with like these big thick limbs cast this wide shadow and they've been burned because dbca aren't very good at doing prescribed burns out there Mm. and it's like that's what they could be and then what you walk through going north is what it is now where it's you get a stick with an epicomic regrowth jumper yeah and it's just kind of sad that it's like a couple of hundred years between what you see originally and what yeah. you then walk through for most of the day. And it's, I think as well, because one of the things I find really hideous about burnt forest is just how untidy it looks. Like it's not, I mean, it's not the forest's fault. It just is untidy because yeah. when it's basically it's fighting to survive, mm. but when a forest is in equilibrium, it just looks so nice and you get, you know, you get this great canopy. You've got the understory looks nice. Mm. And just Zephyr Road just lifted my spirits so much. You know, like I, that's of all the days of the track, that's one of my like top five, I'd say. Like yeah. this, this, just this moment through Zephyr Road. Would you say it's the name of the road that actually made this? Because whenever I think of Zephyr, I think of the Red Hot Chili Peppers song <laughs> and just how relaxing that is. <laughs> uh I didn't think of that, but yes, you're right. Um, it was just it was just the fact that the trees were so beautiful. You know, like it's just something that's it's rare because you see tall carry a lot. Mm. You see tall tingle forest, but you don't see tall jarra very often. Yeah. And not where it's like it keeps going and there's it's everywhere. Yeah. Well, I guess we have Alcoa to thank for that because they've <laughs> mined and we've logged the rest of it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I suppose the Mundabidi, when you think about it probably wouldn't exist in this fashion without logging because you're going along rail formations that are only there because of logging that's true yeah so it'll probably be different cycling if logging never existed because you'd have to cut single trails through but then you wonder if it would exist yeah or whether we'd have bikes anyway because there'd be no aluminium without alcoa <laughs> in the world <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um, this is where you start hitting Mornington Road, which you actually cross quite a few times going into Collie. Yeah. And so the the road cycling, there's a little bit of road cycling uh, along here, and it's not bad because, again, the forest is so massive. Mm. But, yeah, you do crisscross the road a lot. Uh, some of the forest is really nice. Some of it's a more ordinary, but not bad. Like, it, it's, it's acceptable quality. Mm. Because I found the forest on the Bib, which is near this area, going into Collie, quite nice. Like, it's not old growth, it's not new forest, it's just kind of in that in-between, yeah, kind of maybe 50 to 70 years old kind of forest. So it's it's quite enjoyable, and riding a bike, I suppose, you get through a lot more than you would if you were walking, but yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't find this objectionable, Dara Forest. 
yeah, it's not it's not the worst I've seen. You know, I think that there's much worse on the Mundabidi, particularly I'd say between Brookton Highway and Albany Highway is really terrible. Mm. Um, but yeah, it wasn't Zephyr Road quality. Either. <laughs> <laughs> I was spoiled by then, but yeah, it, it was it was fine. Yeah, and along with Mornington Road being kind of like a staple of this area, you also get the power lines that connect the power stations of Collie to Perth and the metro area. Yes, there's a fair bit of, of cycling underneath power lines through the mm-hmm. day. Yeah. Um, Which is hard to avoid going into Collie. Yeah. I think it would probably cost them a lot to... If they wanted to give you the impression that you could, you never <laughs> saw it and they weren't there, it would be quite difficult. <laughs> but to be honest, like if you've done a couple of days previous where you had all that Alcoa stuff, like... Does it really matter that you're going under power lines? Nah. Yeah. Nah. Um, and then you kind of hit the rail railway for a little bit and then it's the where the Mundabidi spurs off into Collie. Yeah. So th- I actually I really love the riding up until that point because you're on the rail form and then if you, you turn right, turn left onto another rail form into Collie and that junction is really nice again because there's just all these tall Jarrah. It's like they... They, they left maybe the trees there so that it was a marker point that you knew that you were coming to that junction. Mm. So I really love that junction. It's nice that I got to do it twice as well because I did it both ways in and out. Yeah. Um, and the ride in, like I I didn't really love the walk in to Collie, but I really liked the cycle in on the Bibbleman. Mm. But I really liked the cycle in to Collie because I think it, was really nice because it follows a, a creek line where this rail form runs alongside mm. and then you join onto the mountain bike trail network and it it looks like you should go onto the trail network but there's a sign saying don't go that way <laughs> yeah. and on the t- at that time because they just opened it they didn't put proper signage up mm. and I didn't know whether this was a new way into town. So I spent ages trying to get reception on my phone to figure out mm. if this was the junction. But it wasn't. So I followed the markers into town um, along old vehicle tracks and then you get to the main part of the of the, the park where the, the trailhead is. Yeah. I'm assuming it's better sign now because they've officially opened it. It's Arklow Mountain Bike Network. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I mean, I think... This is probably the uglier of the mountain bike parks yeah. because it's right under the power lines. So unless you're a fan of the castle. Uh, I don't know. They, the promo shots that they had of the guy doing the jump and then you had the power lines at sunset, it didn't look too bad. But I think this is positioned as a local mountain bike network trail rather right, than the yeah. one they want to bring in domestic and international tourists at yeah. Wellington. Because I think that Wellington, you know, the quality of the scenery is much, much better. There's a lot of really nice granite through there. Mm. This is sort of more your everyday trail because it's really close to town. You know, yeah. like you could be, if you were a kid growing up in Collie, this is probably a good place to hang out yeah. rather than throwing glass bottles. <laughs> and, <laughs> or burning car bodies. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, we are terrible people. <laughs> and then you go into Collie State Forest and then it's into town. Uh, yeah, so you, you cycle and it sort of crisscrosses the Bibbleman. Like Bibbleman goes through Australia and it kind of has that, a bit of that Australia feel to it. Mm. I hate Westralia, uh, Conservation Park or whatever it is, you know, like it's it's just ugly. And 
thankfully on a bike you don't have to experience it for very long i feel like there's this this hatred that you have because you visited it once and it, you know what it is is that um when i was a kid um my family lived for briefly in a south lake and it just has that white sand look about it that yeah. is that makes yeah. me think of the I lakes. I know what you mean, yeah. You know, so I, it just reminds me of that. And I just don't like that look at all. Yeah. Because yeah. all your, your backyard was that sand. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I understand that. Um, but the railway crossing on the Mundabidi is not as pretty as the, <laughs> the Billman one. <laughs> no, it's hideous. Like, it's just... It, like, they've just bulldozed the area and, like, the, the gutters just got garbage and, mm. bit like, just the, the signs that, like, the poles are just, like, falling over. Mm. And then you go across and you cross the road to the cemetery. The and dead centre of town, some may say. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then you uh, follow the... the the pavement into town to the visitor center and this this is a a new way into town the old way would take you to this park that was like a memorial park for soldiers um but it was like nowhere near the visitor center Mm. so they've they've rejigged it so that it makes more sense yeah do you have any different thoughts on collie than what we've discussed in billman pods and other Um, episodes I didn't really stay around very long. Apparently, the bike shop is really, really good. I've heard that Everyone as well, says yeah. that. It has a toy shop connected to it. I'm surprised you didn't visit to pick up some Lego. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alyssa went in and they had some stuff, but uh, I don't have the space for <laughs> for an amusement park. They had like a, real, a lot of the amusement park sets. Uh, yeah. I don't have space for that. You could make space. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. We've, we've talked about Collie before on the Billman podcast. Like, it's it's primed to be a track town, um, but it, I think it's kind of been forced upon them rather than them embracing it. Yeah. I think it still has a long way to go to actually feel like a welcoming town. It, I don't know. Every time I visit, it just seems a bit grey and glum. Yeah. I think the problem for them is that they've probably not seen the fruits of it yet. Mm. Not in the way that dwelling up does, where you you know you look at town and there's so many people there, and I feel like Collie still they're probably thinking, well, I'm making all this money from coal, um, but I'm glad that that whoever it is who keeps pushing Collie, as much as it is a bit annoying that they push Collie the way they do, mm. at least they're thinking this is a town that will die when coal stops, yeah, and that they're trying to get them prepared for that next stage, which is tourism. I think the main issue that Collie has, apart from the coal, is that all the really nice spots that you want to visit along Coalfields Highway are before Collie. Mm. So the issue they're going to have is people will visit Mount uh, Wellington National Park and stay there and do all the trails. Do they want to drive the extra 10 or 15 or 20 kilometers, whatever it is, into Collie to eat or stay or whatever? Yep. I think they maybe need to look a bit closer to Collie to try and draw people in with trails. Yeah, so I think that that's where things like Arklo and they're gonna, you know, they're gonna make more trails. They're gonna re- they're gonna divert the the Mandibidi at some spots to make it a bit more inviting. Mm. Uh, I think they're gonna do a few other trails as well. So I think all those things will help. Um, but at the moment, it just doesn't have the inviting feeling of a country town it just feels like a like the main 
service area like it's the service center for the area yeah i think some more greenery around town wouldn't go astray especially Mm. along the highway um but that's one point i really wanted to ask you about is the spur trail into collie because it's not a short spur trail no it's like it's quite long yeah what are your thoughts on collie being like for the billman and the mundabiddy being a diversion rather than coming through the center so I think they're gonna so they're gonna change that with the with the Mundabiddy for sure. That's gonna change that where they won't you won't travel the same way in and out. But um, I think for the Bibblemen, I don't know how you do that. I don't know what what they're gonna do with that. Um, I, I had ideas that would go directly into Collie through fairly. Well, I'm guessing is fairly all right forest. Okay, but yeah. So I think, I mean, if you can do it, I think that would be better because I feel like the fact that it's a spur feels a little ugly. Well, it's kind of like, it's such a long spur that you'd get to that point, especially if you're planning as well. I was looking at it and I don't think I originally got myself staying in Collie. Mm. But it's like, do I want to do the there and back to stay in a hotel and maybe eat some pub food or do I just continue on? Mm. Like it's a it's a valid like con- not concerned but valid option if you just wanted to continue on it's not like the bib where like you kind of have to stay because it's seven days between dwelling up yes yeah, and right. then it's another three or four to bailing up hmm. yeah i guess there is that um particularly because you know the there there are town options outside beyond collie that are not that many more days mm. But I do think it's worth it. I think that the the trail is is nice coming into town. Um, I think that as well as the good thing there is that if you do have any bike problems, you can. There's a you know a very reputable bike place in town, and there's you know there's food options in town as well, which I think is always nice to have that as a break from the mm. more Spartan meals. Yeah. Um, and I feel like. I feel like they're trying, you know, like they're, they're not there yet. It's going to take a while to to clean up its image a bit, I think, of from being like a coal mm. town, but it it will get there. And I feel like it's sort of, if, if, if you build it, they will come. Like, you know, if, if, if they do all these things and if people actually do go and visit the town, that they'll see that there is value to this and that these people are worth... You know, be, be friendly to them because they're going to spend money in your town. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a very passionate group within Collie that are locals that want to see the town thrive. Yeah. They are pushing, like, the the local trails as well. So they've got a paved network around the river and they're trying to get loops around there going. Whether that will entice people being pavement is another thing, but mm. at least they're trying. And, yeah, it'll take a while, but they'll eventually get there yeah i feel like they're a long way off from you know if you think about dwelling up and say pemberton which are smaller towns but they've been tourist towns for like 20 30 years Mm. so they they know how to gear up for that whereas collie has not really had that experience for a long time yeah where that's been their main industry Mm. Mm. we'll see but yeah that is dwelling up to collie um map three and a bit of map two mm. um we didn't get a guest on this because we've both kind of been super busy with with work we and have, other things yeah. so i think the next 
next few we'll try and endeavor to get guests on yeah and i think you know we <laughs> we wanted to rant a bit about the <laughs> yeah. the alcoa mining impacts and you know, we we didn't want to, you know, say invite someone in from DBCA who maybe is in an awkward position. Well, I jokingly said because you had a guy from Alcoa who is the the greenwashing front email you after you posted about your that. words, not mine, but accurate. Yeah, um, we jokingly said we should get him in to try and defend his cause, but. We decided not to do that. No, I don't want to give a platform for that. Um, So, yeah, dwelling up to Coley, Mundabidi. Hope everyone enjoyed that. Hmm, I enjoyed that section. Yeah. Mostly. Apart from the the one day. day, Yeah. Yeah. One day, bad. The rest, fairly good. Yeah. Particularly, you know, Zephyro is unbelievable. Mm. Yep. Um, Also, if you're a winery or a winemaker or a bottle shop we are looking for a sponsor at the moment (laughs) (laughs) yeah we drink wine every time we do these episodes uh so if you would like your wine to be a sponsor and for us to uh give some tasting notes yep um yeah give us a a bell on our social media or realtrailtalk at gmail.com we'll be more than happy to sample your vino yeah thank you everyone for listening If you've enjoyed this episode or any other episode of Real Trail Talk, then please rate us on whatever platform you're currently listening to us on. Ratings really help us to reach an audience, especially those who are looking to learn about the outdoors in Western Australia and Australia in general. If you had any questions or suggestions for future episodes, you can email us at realtrailtalk at gmail.com or contact us through our social media channels. Thanks again and stay tuned for our next episode.